0: Welcome back to the School of Calisthenics Podcast Playground Sessions. I like the extra P. It's allita- I love alliteration. But you're going to love um, this podcast more, particularly if you're into handstands or hand balancing. Maybe you're preparing for the handstand challenge. We've got handstand master and ex-circus performer, or current, probably, circus performer, um, Yuri Marmistein.
1: There's not a lot that this guy can't do. Um, no. so, and it was well, so just some really interesting stuff about how he goes about learning skills his own journey is self-taught, which he talks about um, on the com- in the conversation, and just again some real massive value in terms of just encouragement for all of us. That actually some of the stuff that we see as being super complex and maybe unachievable, he's actually on the same journey as everybody else, and the same things that he goes about now to to understand how to learn new skills the same principles that we all have to play by yeah some real practical tips and advice that Yuri
0: goes into and, and delves out there that you'll be able to then just literally have a go and put into practice straight away so really encourage you to listen to it's, it's a long one but it's definitely
1: worth listening to it in entirety yeah <laughs> so sit back guys enjoy it it's a Yuri Marmisteen on the School of Calisthenics playground sessions <laughs>
0: Welcome back to the School of Calisthenics podcast. It is Tim and Jacko, and we have somebody that has a better beard than me and better at handstands than Tim. It is Yuri Marmerstein. Am I pronouncing that right, Yuri?
2: Yeah, there's a few pronunciations. It's already the Americanized pronunciation of it anyway, so it's uh, at that point, I'm just like, eh. It's it's originally Marmirstein, and then, yeah, I say Marmerstein. If somebody says Marmerstein, I don't correct them.
1: (laughs) That's very kind of you. I normally go a lot. More, I normally get a lot worse than that for me. Great, Well, It's awesome to have you on. You, I'm super excited to dig into your story a little bit. And I know just from having a chat before we started the podcast that you've got stacks of uh, of great information, which I know is going to be really useful to uh, to our audience and people that, that engage in doing calisthenics with us. Um, so, just to introduce yourself, because you're doing a much better job than, than we can do, just give yourself, uh, like a, give, a, give yourself an introduction and give us a bit of background about who you are and where you got to where you're at now.
2: I don't know that I will do a better job. I'm pretty bad about talking about myself. But, so basically, um, I, I perform as a professional acrobat, although less now I do a lot of teaching. I, I travel and teach workshops and seminars mm-hmm. on handstands, acrobatics, etc., but more so how to learn them as an adult because I learned as an adult. So I did like regular sports as a kid, but I wasn't super athletic. Around 18 years old, I started getting into more martial arts and acrobatics. At that point, there was no material on how to learn anything, except for like really old school strongman books. So basically what happened is that I spent a few years learning everything with really bad technique. Uh, not bad technique, it was a learning process and then eventually I I trained with better people than me and eventually I went on to to performing professionally. So uh, I guess the main, I don't know if I want to call it part of the story is that I'm self-taught. So normally people in this business uh, have been gymnasts for many years and I found that being self-taught was uh, greatly beneficial for me as a teacher because I understood the mistakes and I understood the learning process a lot better. Because I consciously went through that process.
1: So, did you find on that? Because we're this coming from the same place of like literally when we started, we had no gymnastics experience, no background, anything that was actually going to be helpful. Did you find that actually the route that you took to learning what you can do now has been much longer and and windy? And as to because you've made so many mistakes, which means actually now you provide a much more direct path from A to B through the the teaching process that you use? Absolutely.
2: And it's. The other part of it is that there's an individuality uh, approach to the teaching. So I don't teach a, a systemized, you have to a little bit, of course, but yeah, it's helped a lot with understanding learning process and understanding it from different types of learners, because some people learn it in a very specific way and some people don't. So I try to give the perspective of if you come from this background and you learn it in this way, this is something that might work. So it's, it's. It's definitely, I know I've, um, I've hindered the potential of what skills I could have learned because of the path that I took. Had I known certain things, had I just focused on basics for a few years and not even tried to do anything fancy, that would have set me up a lot better. <laughs> yeah. I would have developed much better habits. I wouldn't have had to go back to fix a lot of these mistakes that I made. But at the same time, you don't appreciate it as much when you get told what to do. So by following my own process and by following such a convoluted path, it it helped me to understand uh, just the the general process of what it is to learn a skill from different perspectives, to learn especially all these kind of skills. Of course, it goes with any skill, but the difference with the handstands and acrobatics is it does have that psychological element. So if I'm learning, I don't know, something like piano or, or juggling, there's a lot of technique and there's a lot of skill and precision involved, but there's not fear involved. I'm not gonna psych myself out because I'm scared to play the piano. Maybe in a performance setting, that's gonna be a different part of it, but people like learning a backflip or a handstand, you know, something even more basic, people are gonna freak themselves out before they do the skill, and that's something that's really unique to that that perspective of acrobatics. Um, But I've gone through that, and the difference is that someone who's learned as a kid, maybe they've never gone through it, but the difference is that when you learn something uh, as a kid, it's within your body permanently, but you don't have the same conscious access to it. Yeah. So the advantage is, maybe I'm talking, the coffee's hitting me, so now I'm talking a lot. <laughs> yes, go for it. Subject. The advantage for me has been as a teacher. So the path that I followed has been a huge advantage to be able to teach these skills, but it's been a huge disadvantage to perform the skills and to do them at a high level because the people like I go to an audition, the people that I compete with, have been gymnasts or dancers all their lives and that's a very difficult skill set to compete with and honestly a big part of it is (laughs) is image like if i'm gonna get a role it's probably more of what i look like compared to what i can do
1: Yeah, yeah and how long have you been sort of like when did you how long ago was it when you first started learning to handstand and get into
2: acrobatics how far into your into your journey are you so it would have been towards the end of high school that I started because I remember I watched, um, I had a year when I was like a little bit lazy, so junior year of high school and then senior year I started getting into more fitness, calisthenics, um, you know, old school martial arts, Jackie Chan movies, Bruce Lee going to the backyard and trying to kick trees. <laughs> yes. um, so yeah, probably towards the end of high school, so I would have been around 17 at the time and I remember... You know, the, the first handstands I learned, I remember it was reading from an old school strongman. It wasn't even a kick to handstand, it was um, a frog stand and pressing up, so I learned a handstand like that before I learned to kick. I couldn't hold the handstand, of course, but I had, you know, a decent body awareness so I could still press up, and it was, of course, if I were to look at that now, I'd probably, <laughs> like look away. Yeah, the first basically.
0: time you do something complex like that, it's, it's never going to be as pretty as once you've mastered it, yeah. we... We really focus on people. As long as it's safe and you're know, yeah. not going to do any damage to yourself, like whether it's a handstand or whether it's a muscle-up, when you're first learning, the very first one you do, like you're so pumped that you did it for the first time, that you're not, yeah. like you say, you're not bothered. If you look back at it in years, you go, yeah, but you take that decision. I remember to this the process, too. I
2: remember huh? There was a, like a nearby school with some parallel bars, and I remember trying the same thing on the P-bars before I was, like I couldn't even hold a handstand, <laughs> yeah. but I could press into it and um, I remember bailing pretty bad and I fell and I hurt myself (laughs) uh, but it was interesting too because there wasn't YouTube back then so it was almost freeing that I wasn't aware of the limitations or possibilities
1: And uh, so in terms of that um, if you guys that are listening or watching should go and check out um, your YouTube channel, he's got uh, some stuff on his website, the sorts of things he can do, but when I look at you and I first saw what you're capable of, I was like, and then found out that you were self-taught, it, it makes me feel like I've not achieved anything in the past
2: <laughs> four years. Like, it's funny there's so many because I look at, like again, you know, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and for years I had trained a lot and I never even met anyone better than me at handstands until I went to Vegas and I realized <laughs> that I was nothing. But yeah. what I did yeah, meant absolutely nothing it, yeah. compared to these other people. So it's so many layers of that. The important thing is to yeah, do your own thing, respect the process. Mm. Um, and it's interesting, in, even in my own process, I'm not even training that many handstands right now. There was a point where I was very obsessed, and I would train, you know, two, three hours a day. I've been teaching a lot. A lot of the still work has been more on maintenance, and it's interesting that process of uh, – I may have gotten worse at actually handstands compared to where I was at a few years ago, but the depth of understanding and be able to teach it has grown. So it's, the, the process is not linear by any means.
0: What yeah. sort of made you um, focus or why did you focus a lot on, um, on handstands? You said, you know, when you first started training, you were doing martial arts, but you were probably doing quite a lot of things. And then sort of what made you specialize, if, that, if you feel like that, like in, in
2: handstands? Um, I just got really obsessed with it. Yeah. Like I said, I did a lot of things. I've always done handstands because in those old school strongman books, you know, it was, of course they did the banana back and it's not wrong by any means, just different technique. Um, but then, you know, of course they have the one arm handstand photos as well. Not really much instruction on how to do them. So of course I would try, you know, to go and then lift the arm and then fall. And I did that for a couple of years and then I started reading more into it and I realized kind of how much work you have to put into it and how obsessed you have to be for that skill. And I have a pretty obsessive personality in general. So once something kind of penetrates my skull, it's, it's there for a long time. Um,
0: so yeah, I I just thought thought
2: it would be a really cool skill to develop. And I did, and I didn't develop it with the idea of it was before social media, I mean there was Facebook, but it wasn't what it was now. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't do it to think, oh I can make a business out of this and I can travel the world teaching it and I can perform it. I had none of those thoughts, I just thought it was interesting and I wanted to, to really develop that skill set. Yeah. yeah, I want to pick up on that, that single
1: handstand a little bit later on because okay. we've got some specific questions yeah. around that. There's one thing that I've, I kind of picked up when I was reading um, some stuff about you and you mentioned that about the old school strongman. Like, I love those pictures of those old dudes in like, leotards or whatever it is, oh, yeah. like, in the Isn't circus. And, like, going back to – because we talk a lot about, like, calisthenics and bodyweight training, going back to the, the foundations of what strength is. And these guys were stronger. Probably I read some, some stuff about some strong men this week, and they were, like, doing, like, manual jobs during the day, and they were using strength all the time. And then that we're almost, like – became a, a part of their work that they liked and they were developing then to just go and kind of perfect these skills, and it became a, a side project, but now it's we, we very much have people that are getting strong, but it's a very different kind of strength, it's not really that usable, and that's one thing I love about calisthenics, I think if I want to go and climb a tree I've got that in the locker, like it's, it's uh, what do you think about that, because again, going back to those old man, old strongman pictures and videos just a, a completely different type of athlete what we see today and will define as a strong man
2: yeah for sure it's that idea of i guess i mean what's functional what's usable um part of it is the way bodybuilding has you can call it progressed or you can call it uh what's the other word decayed where where it's like you know at one point a bodybuilder was also someone who is very very fit and very healthy and now a what modern bodybuilding is is kind of almost the opposite of health where they're starving themselves and they're, they're injecting all sorts of chemicals. And, of course, they have a lot of muscle and it. Of course, it takes a lot of work, and it's impressive to get there. But at the same time, it's like they can't move. So, no, oh, for sure, it's that idea of, for me, it's more about controlling the body. Like, I never trained for hypertrophy. Um, I never trained for that. It was a byproduct. And for me, it was always, you know, coming from that martial arts background as well, it's more interesting what someone can do with their body as opposed to what it looks like, and then about uh, about of the course, time. a lot of times the looks are going to come as a byproduct. But it's not something that you should be judging upon because now a lot of times you know someone looks strong and you know they, they can't put their arms over their head. They yeah. can barely move, they run you know like this. So it's we used to have seen a lot of people like that. Don't <laughs> worry. <laughs>
0: And I've seen you hey, shirts off, Yuri. You're
2: flipping stacks, man. <laughs> uh, well, I'm shorter than I look on camera, so that's part of it. How much do you weigh out of interest? I weigh... I float around 75 kilos. Oh, sad, really. So how tall are you? 5'7". Uh, I don't know what the conversion yeah. centimeters is. Yeah. 170, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, I had a question, you, just, you talked a little bit about like fear when learning to tumble or uh, do handstands and, and we spoke a little bit before about um, that mindset of, and we get it all the time when people just, that, that fear of being upside down and then even when they are upside down, um, that spatial awareness, that kinesthetic awareness, they're not sure where their body is in the space and they're also scared of what's going to happen, they haven't learned how to, to bail out or even they're trying to kick up to a wall and they don't even know how to get up to there um, before we just delve into that when, in terms of um, in terms of tumbling backflips i've had on my to-do list of goals for the last three years <laughs> a backflip and i've done absolutely nothing about it one of the reasons being i'm actually petrified of landing and breaking my neck um, i think i'm would be like i can jump higher but i've always had a decent <laughs> vertical jump it's more the um i'm trying to source someone that's going to teach me safely and effectively in a foam pit initially but um I'm really, I'm really interested in, in you da- delving into that, um, what you described, that fear of sort of hand balancing. Fact, we can focus it more around hand balancing because a lot of our followers are, are, are trying to learn how to do a handstand in preparation for the world record that we've got going on. We'll talk about that Absolutely. later. But um, but yeah, no, t- um, delve into a bit of that mindset around what you see with people and how people could, that are struggling with that So I know we get a lot of people doing it and I might be able to apply it to my tumbling <laughs> as well. Right,
2: so part of it is... Um, is what's the worst case scenario. Backflip, it's going to be a bit different. um, With handstand, you can control it more because you're always in contact with the floor. Backflip is a bit different because you have to get away from the floor. So that's a different kind of fear. And also the handstand can happen very slow. But the backflip, you know, gravity is your... So I have this much time in the air (laughs) to do a flip. That's a, a much different process. But let's get into that after handstands. So the idea with handstands is that what's the worst case scenario? Usually for most people, it's either the arms collapsing or it's going to be falling on the back. So let's talk about falling on the back first. Kid falls on their back all the time. When you weigh 20 kilos, it doesn't matter that much. When you weigh a little bit more, then that force is multiplied. Um, But even still, you probably won't really get hurt if you fall on your back. Yeah, you have a bruise or two, but it's not debilitating, but then you get scared of what it is to do the handstand, so you lose that perspective. So one of the first things I teach before really getting into technical handstand work is how to fall. Um, there are three main ways to fall. The first is the bridge, which you have to be pretty flexible for, so I don't really teach that as a fall, I teach that as a separate skill.
0: Yeah.
2: Handstand roll is most people are going to figure that out a little bit sooner, but the issue is that if you're doing something on a hard floor, if I'm doing a handstand on concrete, even if I'm really good at rolling, the roll is not going to feel soft. So the third one is the cartwheel. So I actually teach a cartwheel first, and the idea with the handstand is that you can control it the whole time. But to appreciate the control, we have to appreciate what it is to be out of control, to let go of the control. So think about it this way. I'm standing. I control myself when I stand. But what happens if I fall? Going? I have a reflex yeah, yeah, yeah. to come back to my feet. So we need that same reflex in the handstand. It's this idea that you know, if you're standing and someone pushes you, you're probably not going to fall on your face. You're probably going to take a few steps and find your balance again. Yeah. So we need to develop this same kind of reflex is that once someone goes too far over in the handstand, they have to know that no matter what, they can land back on their feet. Yeah, that's so, because
1: really I remember when I was learning to do a handstand on parallel bars, I was terrified now, I had the strength to be able to do it, but I had the fear of actually now my, my point of reference from a visual perspective was, was way further away from me and I couldn't get, I couldn't, mm-hmm. it was, I was, it was purely a, a confidence thing cause I could do it if I was close to the floor, but I was always worried that I was going to like go over and I could flip over on the parallel bars, and it's even further way down. and I come from a place of having multiple shoulder dislocations, so those places are not happy in my brain. But now, over the years, I've actually got a confidence if I'm going to go into my parallel bar handstand. That actually, if I feel like I'm going over, I've got to I throw my hand out in front of me to let go of the bar and then re grab it in a position to stabilize myself. And that was never there before, but it's interesting, yeah. that it's exactly the same as what you say is when you're you're standing and you fall forward, your brain sends a message to the leg to put the foot out in front of you to, from stopping, to stop yourself. And just, I've got a little one-year-old at home and I see, he's falling over all the time and you can see him learning those those skills. Oh. And it's the same for the upper body, but it just feels scary because you're upside down and your head's going like a little bit
2: closer to the floor, I guess. I so, so that that's number one, <laughs> is that idea of learning how to fall. The second one, and this one is really counterintuitive as it's more complicated than what I'll describe right now, is... It's um, it's counterintuitive, but you want to have the arms straight because then there's a structure and you can hold yourself up. But what people have a tendency to do um, is that they bend their arms because it brings them closer to the floor and it feels safer. But the reality is that I, you know it takes strength to hold myself like this, yes. hold myself like this, I can use my bone structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's another thing that's a bit counterintuitive is a lot of people won't straighten their arms, and that's actually what makes them collapse. So that's also a really big one. Um, And then the third one, apart from falling, people have a tendency to to planch their shoulders forward. That's a bit easier because it's center of gravity and it gives you a bit of a counterbalance, but then it puts more stress on the shoulders and the wrists. So it's, and a lot of times people don't know they're doing that. It's their body making. I was reading some articles about the brain, how it it takes a really long time for the brain to learn the skill, but it, it makes a quick and dirty solution by trying to adjust what you already know to fit that scheme. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those things that a lot of people will do. It's um, rather than having the arms vertical, they'll lean the arms a little bit forward. They'll bend at the elbows. And technically it's a safer balance if I balance like this. But at the same time, if my legs aren't strong enough to hold myself in the squat, eventually I'm going to collapse. So those are, are probably the... I guess the two main points that I try to bring home to adults first learning is learn to get the arms straight, learn how to support yourself on your bone structure, because you can always use muscle later when you need to. Um, and then learning how to fall. That's the big one for psychology is you can't appreciate what it is to be in the middle unless you know what it is to go too far. Yeah. I was just about, so I did a there's that perspective with- idea. It's so it, to be, this is what I see a lot of as well. So to be vertical in a handstand is a very precise position. To be a little bit too far, you have to know what it feels like to be too far um, to, to really understand what it is on top. And what ends up happening is that most people, when they get to their vertical position in the handstand, they feel like they're too far and they start to want to bail and kick down when, in fact, they've never actually gone far enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I see that a lot with people when they're, when they're learning, say they're learning to kick up or tuck up, that the common thing that that might happen is they're going too far over the top all the time, and just like you said, that they they don't know they know where too far is, and they've learned that, but they actually don't know where not far enough is, and they're actually yep. where they want to be, somewhere in the middle. and And I did some work with someone um, last week, and just said, right, let's let's kick up and not actually go far enough up, like do it real slow, but don't go far enough, and then it's like they have got that a few times. It was like. So you need to find somewhere in between those two things. I think of it as like Goldilocks, like not too hot, not <laughs> yeah, too yeah. cold, just right. But like you said, it's... unless you know, people want to do, like, I want to know what right, perfect is or what right is. And, and like, you only know what right is if you know what wrong is. Mm-hmm. And there's in the handstand, there's two versions of that. Obviously too
2: far, not far enough. So yeah, no, it's, that's definitely... There's precision too. So the other thing with the, especially when I teach the kick-up, a balanced handstand is a very unique skill in that, You don't need to put power into it, right? If I'm kicking up into a handstand, I don't need to put power into that leg. I try to think like, um, I kick the leg just lazy enough so that it stops me when I'm already in the handstand. So that it's not as common. Most people are going to not kick far enough, but some people put way too much power into it. They think they need all that speed and momentum when the reality is that, yeah, you don't have to kick very hard, but you have to do it. You know, that's the hard part. You do have to do it a thousand times to understand that and then you have to learn how to give yourself feedback unless you have a coach all the time yeah. you know you want to say okay I kicked and I fell right back down so next time I need to kick more until I find out how much I need to kick and then eventually you figure out your own what it means in your own body to kick up to that handstand. Yeah. I
1: think there's some really interesting stuff. We talk about sort of like time on task with a handstand. It's one of those things you just gotta invest some time in. It's not something that's gonna come straight because you're going through a skill acquisition and kinesthetic a skill acquisition process which has a significant kinesthetic awareness. Um, component which people need to learn. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, you've developed a really broad um, and interesting range of skills that you can do from the, the calisthenics hands to hand balancing through to your acrobatics. When you've taught yourself something new, what's that skill retention process look like for you? Because I've I've done things before where I've got a new n- new move that I've kind of I've been working on obviously I can do it and then for whatever reason I maybe don't get to train it that often for the next week or two. And I go back and touch base with it again. It feels like it's, just, it's gone. Um, how do you go about sort of like learning a new skill, then cementing it, whilst you're also then working on other things at the same time?
2: Uh, so this is, I'm trying to think if I, how scientific of the answer I want to be, or how scientific it's going to sound. It depends on the type of skill. Um, skills that have a fear component built in, like a backflip, for example, you're going to build <laughs> patterns a lot faster. So, let's say if I make the, if I'm, you know, psyching myself out to throw a backflip and I'm in that panic state, it might take two repetitions of the same mistake to cement that mistake, and then it takes 15 repetitions to break it. Yeah, yeah. So, the idea is that if I'm learning a new skill, I'll go through the process where I'm doing basic physical preparation, basic warm-up, basic coordination, and that's going to be the majority. And then I do the skill a certain number of times, and then eventually the skill becomes you do more of the skill, and then you do less of the preparation, and eventually the skill becomes the warm-up. Uh, but it, it's a really complicated answer because it depends on the kind of skill. Like um, you know, going, sticking with acrobatics, for example, strength skills I can work maybe once or twice a week. And I can still make progress balancing skills I can't stand. if I'm not working at least five days a week, it's really hard to make progress Mm -hmm. because there's so many details and the body changes from day to day. So you don't learn how to deal with those uh, with those details. So, yeah, a big part of it is doing the skill enough times to develop the confidence. So some people just don't drill it enough. Um, and it's one of those things. Remember, I was teaching um, tumbling a while ago, and I had one like little girl who was super talented. Five years old, within a few classes, learned to do back handspring by herself, mm. um, which is you know very rare. She was a, a super talent, and um, was a very good student as well as far as learning goes. The first day that she learned it, she must have done a hundred in a row. So that's a really big part of it is that once you have the skill acquisition, you have to do it enough times to cement it to where you don't have to think about it so much. I think that's um, a really
1: interesting point because we find that you, you, people get so pumped that they've done something for the first time and they're like, right, I can do a human flag now or I can yeah. do a handstand. needs like, well, to be repeatable. I nailed that. And then you come back like a month later and you might as well be a beginner again because you haven't done enough work to actually cement it. So it's, I think there's like i'm doing quite a lot of work on front lever at the moment and dave has been and I, it's it's almost like the day that i first hold a front lever that i'm going to be happy with i've actually got to start looking past that and i've got to go actually this is now that's day one of the stage two of this process of actually making sure this is something i can do because the human flag for us i can do cold like i walk up to a bar no warm up i've got the range of movement i can do a human flag the, the neural pathways are there and, and pretty well established Strengths the strength's there, and the strength's there. But that's been over a long, that's four years in the making. Am I right, Yuri, and I'm, I think I'm quoting you from something I heard you say a while ago, that when you wake up in the morning and do a handstand, that's where your handstand is at. Is that
2: It's about, about? Uh, I feel like I would have said that, it's about repeatability. So think like if you're a marksman, for example, if you hit a bullseye once, what does that mean? It doesn't mean shit. I can close my eyes and I can hit a bullseye one out of every hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about what you can repeat and then eventually, again, going into that marksman idea, now nah, Not that I do a lot of this kind of stuff, but, okay, you're learning to shoot. First, you learn to shoot in range. Then you learn to shoot outside. Then you sprint 50 yards, and then how quickly can you draw and shoot? And another guy was telling me that they do in the Army this duress training where you're trying to hit a target while somebody's, you know, like throwing dirt in your face and slapping (laughs) it. So the idea is what can you make repeatable and then what can you make repeatable under different conditions? And it's this idea of if you treat the handstand as a performance art, any handstand or any kind of circus performance you see, that's in their pocket. That's not the peak of their skill. That's the shit they can do when they're sick and when they've rolled out of bed. So if you see a guy jumping up, you know, this Chinese guy is jumping up the stairs on one arm, that's not like the peak of his skill. That's what he can do with no warm-up, basically.
0: That's the problem I have. All all our our demonstrations and
2: workshops are the peak of our skill. And then, uh, you know, in performing, but also in teaching, that's another thing that I've had to learn, because, you know, you're teaching a workshop, you you warm up for the group, but you don't really train for yourself, so the demonstrations that you do in a teaching scenario are also also cold. And I'm not saying that you should train something cold, because you do have to go through those warm-ups and those prerequisites, but eventually you want to have that confidence in the skill Having done it enough times that you can repeat it under imperfect conditions. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I know, like when I first, I mean, I had my own process of learning to backflip because I had my own fear, and I learned initially to go sideways, which is a a terrible, terrible habit to have. And I remember in college I found this big pole vault mat. Um, So every day, I I walked every day for three weeks. I did an hour of just flips on this pole vault mat, just over and over again. Um, it took away a lot of the jump, but also when you land on your head on this kind of mat, it doesn't hurt. So that was <laughs> the trade-off. And after about three weeks, it started to click, and I, this backflip started to make sense, and I started to go backwards. So it was about a mile walk, like 20-minute walk. On the walk back, I maybe did 30 to 50 backflips during that one-hour session. On the walk back, every whatever, 5, 10 meters, I did another one. And then I got back to my college dorm, and I did a few more you know, in the, in the hall. So it was, and then I lost. So that helped cement the skill and I kept doing it. And then eventually I lost it after a couple of months because I didn't do it regularly. And the fear sunk in a number. I had one session where it was on the grass. I just had to force myself to crash and now it's no problem, but it's, yeah, that's a really important idea is that you have to do the skill enough times. I don't know what that number is because it depends on the skill, but um, enough times to where you, you can do it without consciously thinking about doing it.
1: And do you find that within that skill acquisition process that you're better off sort of touching base with it on a sort of doing light doses on a regular basis rather than going going to trade handstands once a week and I'm going to leave it seven days before I do it again. Do you find that you get more benefit from maybe doing three or four or five times a week but
2: smaller smaller points? Or even including it in the warm-up just so, yeah, so like you said, so you're getting that dosing. The handstand specifically – Because the precision required for it is so fine. We're literally, we're talking millimeter, and you can be one millimeter off, and you're off balance. And that's not even an exaggeration. So your body is not the same from day to day, depending on how you slept, what kind of physical activity you've done, what kind of alcohol or caffeine or drugs you take. All of that changes your balance. Your balance on your feet is good enough that it doesn't really affect it much. But when you're learning to balance on the hands, things like that play a really big impact. And you don't learn how to make those adjustments if you train once a week. Yeah. If you don't train, it doesn't have to be right. Training you know, at a basic level, it can be 10, 15 minutes a day. It doesn't have to be a three-hour session. It shouldn't be because you're probably going to hurt yourself doing that much right away. Um, but it's that idea that if you train only once a week, your body is not the same from week to week, and the variables that you've already calibrated for have completely changed. So with handstand specifically, it's one of those skills that you you need to train more often than you think, because you have to deal with these minute variables and changes in your body that are not obvious to you when you stand up. Yeah,
0: and just just picking up on that handstand even even further, we've got we've got a lot of beginners. Um, trying to learn how to do a handstand. Um, some of them very excited because we're trying to break the world record for the most number of people doing a handstand at the same time with our uh, hashtag handstand challenge, which is on um, 23rd of June, International Handstand Day. And my first question is, one, are you coming? This is the official invite. And then two is like, what are some, maybe two or three common issues that you see for, or that you like really commonly
2: see for beginners and, and, and any tips for them to try and, Incorrect then. Um, I had some issues getting to the UK last summer, so I need to right now kind of figure out a, a work visa type thing uh, because yes. <laughs> it took my fingerprints and I'm on a, a list of some sort. Oh. <laughs> Not, I wasn't banned, but but probably I have to have a really good story or a work visa when I come back. No bad
0: and then to come and break a world record. We'll, <laughs> we'll sort that out. We've, we know some people in high places.
2: I yeah, appreciate it. Um, <laughs> as far as beginners learning the first thing is, and this is the boring part, is you do have to understand the physical prerequisites of the skill. <clears throat> so if you've never spent time on your hands, your wrists probably haven't developed the specific, not muscle, but the specific resistance to being able to take the weight. So definitely, especially coming from no background to trying to do handstands, um, especially it's worth to take the time to warm up the wrist every session. Um <laughs> And after six months to a year, you can let up on it a little bit, but that's a really important part is respecting the physicality of the skill. The wrists are going to be number one. Shoulders and elbows, um, not as much, but definitely someone who's getting into handstands, it's worth it to take the time to really strengthen and make sure the wrists are good.
1: Yuri, do you recommend that people use wrist wraps if they're finding it uncomfortable or not?
2: Oh, Well, it it depends on individual basis, but what ends up happening if they wrap the wrists is that the body is really clever at being lazy, because survival you want to save energy. So, any kind of external aid like that, the joint stops stabilizing itself, so over time it may be a short-term solution, recovering from an injury, something like that. But, it's different for something like boxing or gymnasts when they do vault or pommel horse, for example. It's a lot of, ah, just my- <laughs> it's a lot of impact on the wrist, so the wraps are going to have a, a little bit more of um, a purpose there. But the idea with a lot of these, anything that offers artificial support, is that your body gets lazy providing its own support. Yeah. So maybe it's a short-term fix, but like
0: wean off it almost.
2: Yeah, yeah. Generally, I wouldn't recommend because it's, if your body builds its own support, it's a lot better than having yeah, to rely yeah, on yeah, externally. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, when I first started, I've used it and then I've weaned completely. Like I wouldn't even think, don't even ever think twice about it now. Cause like, I think, like I said, just progressively build up. We, you know, we've started with simple things like frog stands where you're just getting used to a little bit of support. Like you say, it's getting some support and some uh, load through those wrists in that in that position, but it's not as complex a balance point yeah. at all as a, as a handstand, and, and so it does help
2: you build up that as as one part. And it, it's not the wrist, especially because with the shoulders, you you can use muscle to compensate, but because yeah. there's not really muscle in the wrist, it's all connective tissue that takes a much longer time to build up. And again, someone who's been doing handstands since they were a kid. They've built that up when they were still growing, so that that's with them permanently. But as an adult starting out, that's a really important point. I have a wrist sequence um, that I, I teach in my workshops, and that I have a video on on my Vimeo channel. It goes through, you know, in great detail, um, just all these different positions, and it's it helps immensely. Okay. I if haven't you can, had.
0: We'll make sure if we'll make sure yeah, that, you us that link, and we'll put that in the show notes for people so they can see that. Yeah, it'd be great. Anything else you know, for beginners?
2: The, uh, another part is not to set time or expectations. Some people are going to say, Oh, I want to, this is my goal. I want to learn a handstand before my whatever. Before the world bar-
0: record attempt. Oh, dear.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. It's more so you have to be in it for the process and you have to enjoy the process. Yeah. And when people set themselves up for that specific time frame, their standards drop to reach that time frame. So you have to do it not with the intention of, of the end result, but with, I know it sounds a little bit cheesy and philosophical, but um, do something for the sake of doing it not for the sake of the result you're going to get. So it's, it's more so what can I learn about myself by getting into handstands? And it's the same in my workshops. It's better now, but a few years ago when I started teaching, you know, I had a lot of people with these expectations like, oh, I'm going to take a seminar this weekend and I'm going to learn the handstand. Okay. Like, it doesn't work that way. It's You're going to learn about the handstand to apply it. And over that weekend, you might make significant gains if you get the right tips and at the right time. But it's yeah. not having the expectation of, oh, I want to learn this and I want to learn it like this. But just doing it for the sake of doing it. So that, that's a big mindset thing, being able to play around. I know I get a lot of questions about sets and reps. Oh, how many should I do? People want to focus too much on the numbers. And the idea is that it, it's not a, a weight that we're lifting. It's a very complex physical skill, and there's so many variables, and it's a lot more that you can write down on paper. So I would say to to do the work, but think less about the numbers, and yeah, just play around with it. Yeah. Do it for the sake of doing it. It's See what just happens.
1: It's interesting to hear you say that. I'm not going to come to your workshop and learn all those acrobatic skills and move to In one space. Day. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, That sounded very cool, but. Um... Yeah, I, I we can, we're completely on board with that about understanding that process, and that everyone comes from a different starting point. We see some people learn skills way faster than we did. Yeah. Um, we've got our own sort of injury histories that we're, we, we continue to battle with. Yeah. And, and you're right, we, we, we very much talked about trying to enjoy the journey along the yeah. way because it got frustrating that we were like seeing all these people doing the stuff that we wanted to be able to do. And we still get it now to a certain degree, but I think we deal with it better. Um, but focus on actually what am I learning about this and, and there's something that I loved about uh, that you've written on your website about your you've got an analytical mindset actually you studied physics and maths I believe um, and then your that combination with that being self-taught actually makes you a really effective teacher because you've actually broken down that process you've been through it yourself so from our perspective we learn a lot from from actually doing it wrong and the fact Absolutely. that we're not as good as we want to be is a strength when we talk about how well we can coach those because we, we particularly for the front, re, front lever, we can pretty much hands down probably know what doesn't work better than anybody else in the world. I would say.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the other thing I tell people too is that it goes to, along with that, that expectations. To make a different mistake is still a different form of progress. So it's And that's what I like about the handstands is that with weightlifting, for example, it's very clear. Either you're doing more reps or you're lifting more weight, and then it's progress. But with uh, with these kind of skills, it can be so many different things. And it it could be maybe you think, oh, I want to hold the handstand for this long. And of course, that's part of it. But then maybe you can do it more consistently. Maybe it takes you two tries to kick up instead of five. Um, Maybe you can relax more and breathe easier, even though you're not holding it longer. So it's a lot of yeah, it's a lot of these kind of things as well.
1: I love how excited you are about handstands because yes. I have that same thing. I, I could talk about it all the time. Yes. So i going to switch gears a bit here and just talk about mobility,
2: yep. range of movement.
1: So you've touched on it around the wrist. What are, what are your other approaches? Obviously, for some of the skills that you do, you need good upper body, lower body mobility, flexibility. What are your general sort of thoughts and practices around um, improving range of movement, improving your access to have strength in that range of movement?
2: Um, so mobility is also one of those that has a a really big psychological aspect. So for example, like, I mean, this is, you know, if you read the old school Pavel books, he, this is the best example is that middle split, right? There's not any physical structure that connects one leg to the other leg. So theoretically, if you can do this with one leg, then you should be able to do it with both at the same time. So, um, it main thing is that it's going to take work. You have to work on your mobility unless you're naturally flexible and you have to treat it Okay, this is getting complicated. So <laughs> I'm gonna try to do as best as I can. Um, to maintain mobility that you have, you have to take whatever joints you have through a range of motion on a regular basis. So that could mean just you know waking up and doing whatever ten minutes of joint rotations. Um, you know instead of sitting once in a while getting up and doing some lunges, that kind of thing, as long as you implement that into your daily life, that's enough to maintain mobility that you have. To gain flexibility, it's a little bit different. Part of it is that you have to get into the state of being really uncomfortable because the reason that you're inflexible in certain ranges is because the body tenses up uh, at a range that it feels unsafe in. So you have to you have to have dedicated stretching sessions. This is life. The best, you know, most flexible athletes in the world, they stretch a lot they can maintain it very easily, but they still have it as a really big part of their, uh, their physical practice. So you have to get into these states where you're very uncomfortable and it, it's might be a little bit painful and you have to tell your, the subconscious part of your brain or whatever part of your brain dictates that to say, I'm uncomfortable here, but it's not that bad. I'm going to relax. And then when you can relax there, it, it maps that new range. So that's part of it. And that's going to take more than one session. Um, That's also a very intense uh, form of training as well. Sometimes it involves someone sitting on you, getting pushed down. Not everyone necessarily has to go through it, but to build new range, um, you do have to go through that psychology of this sucks, that feels like I'm gonna tear something. No, it's okay, I can relax. That's part of it. Um, The active range as well, so being able to use my weight to get into something is different than lifting my leg into that position. So that's something that if you take a ballet class, for example, I think that's probably one of the better systems for active hip flexibility, mm-hmm. where it's a very clear system. They start lifting their leg just barely above the floor, and it's very clear where where the hips should go. But they do their static splits as well, so it's not like a ballet dancer learns to lift their leg up high only by lifting their leg. There's also a lot of pain. There's a lot of getting pushed down by their teachers You know, whatever. Um, We're
1: not selling mobility very well
2: to <laughs> Okay, so basically it's like anything else. You have to work on it, um, it's not going to be as exciting to work on maybe compared to doing some of the skills or handstands or lifts, but it's a very important part of, of the physical process, well, it's a very important about yourself. The... It takes time, so if you've been sitting at a desk for 20 years and it took 20 years to get that stiff, it's not going to take one month to get loose. Um, this is the big one. So if I can bring one point home, it's about implementing it into your lifestyle. So two things, having dedicated sessions, even if it's once, twice a week, but intense, dedicated flexibility sessions, and then incorporating into your lifestyle. So I've been sitting for, I don't know, half hour. So now I'm on, uh, I, st- <laughs> I was looking at the front of the computer. Now I'm on a mat and now I'm kneeling and now I can lunge. Um, if I get up, I might get up and do one of these. It's just, a normal thing i do when i wake up so it's a compulsive part of the way i live my life and that's uh another really important part of that process is that you don't have to be always on a yoga mat and stretching to still continue to work on
0: yeah we've noticed, i've noticed as well particularly like um so my background was in rugby where being tight was sort of the name of the game because you didn't want to get it sort of helped you f- absorb the impacts and all that sort of stuff so um Doing flexibility and stuff like you said, the adherence to it can be a bit like wishy-washy, like oh, it's not exciting, it's boring. But when the app, if I'm working on my uh, overhead shoulder flexibility because I want to learn to do a human flag and I know that it's my flexibility that's stopping me, that just process of like having that end goal of like I'm this flexibility is going to help me do that cool thing, or like my hips really tight, like and trying to get my straddle position better so that I can do a, a, a straddle planche easier is motivating to do to in terms of wanting to do more like i'm really into like stretching now more at the moment last couple of months because i've seen one the seen the improvement like it's quite a, a simple process that if you do more stretching you'll feel more flexible if you do it more regularly like say and then having it as part of a not just i want to be more flexible I want to actually learn to do this thing. It's a bit like with the handstand world record you said about not trying to put a time frame on it, and I, and I totally understand. We, the reason we came up with that was more around um, when people set New Year's resolutions. Having a New Year's resolution of "I just want to get fit" has no tangible endpoint, and rather going like, "Why don't you? Why don't you take your goal and like have something specific to work towards?" And that really helps with. Um, the motivation and adherence to training for sure and that's something that that i've like i've seen but also just personally like mm-hmm. i felt but i really like your your idea around just making it a bit more um regularly part of just your everyday
2: yeah. life like so and it has to be something you enjoy as well so if, yeah. if it's something that you hate you're not going to do it so you have to to learn to find a way to to understand that either you hate it, but it's a necessity in working towards some goal, or you actually find a way to say, "Ah, yeah, at first I hated stretching, but now I actually like it because I feel the benefits. Yeah. I feel how relaxed I am after a stretching session." So yeah, that, yeah. that's a not, you're not going to do something you don't like. We're all adults. Yeah.
1: I think I'm still trying to find. Jacko's got into um, into yoga quite a bit as a regular part of his practice. I'm actually hypermobile. That's why my shoulders used to fall out and become detached <laughs> from my body. Yep,
2: I've had the same thing. Yeah. I had to deal with actually a lot of when I was a kid, I could just pop my shoulder out and yeah. nobody that it was wrong. Yeah. Um, and then later when I was, you know, lifting things or myself, I would feel the shoulder pop out and that would be sore for a few days. And then I kind of made that connection. So that, that's the other thing. That's when mobility gets really complicated. It's the same mobility exercises that I would give to someone who is not flexible naturally, someone who is naturally hypermobile. I would say to do the same ones, but to treat them as strength exercises. Yeah. yeah. So you can do the same exercise, but it's less about relaxing for someone who's hypermobile and more about finding the tension because ultimately it's safer to be, to be too tense than it is to yeah, be yeah, yeah, too yeah, loose. That's why we get tense to protect ourselves.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because my current thought process, so I don't really need to sit on the floor and stretch for long durations because I've got way too much. I dislocated my hip when I was 12 years old, which apparently is something only old ladies
2: do. I was a rugby accident. So. I've dislocated my hip twice. Okay. Right, you're an old lady oh, as well. <laughs> twice yep. there
1: you go <laughs> top drum <laughs> this is better better than yeah. me and he's got more dislocations and more facial hair so going downhill quickly <laughs> um, but I um, so I don't need to sit in like in positions particularly I've got access to a good range of movement but where I think I'm going to benefit from is actually I'm, I'm interested at the moment exploring more like but well, I've seen turned um, as ground-based movements, so like crawling patterns and getting into deep, spending time in deep lunges and transitioning around that. That incorporates those end-range, deep-range positions, but also the strength components to be functional within those. And I quite that for me, I think is going to be more of like a dynamic approach to my mobility, mm. as, opposed to, so, as opposed to sort of spending time sat in static stretch positions.
2: Is, um, and I, I think, I would enjoy that more. There's also, so yeah, that, that's of course one way to look at it is to use that range. The other thing is, let's say you are in a static stretch. So someone who needs the flexibility, I would probably cue them just to breathe and relax. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: But doing the contractions in both directions, so let's say I'm in my pancake and I have, you know, pancake stretch and I have someone sitting on me, I can focus more on two things. So if I'm already flexible and I can get all the way down, I can focus on digging my heels into the floor. I can focus on lifting up mm-hmm. with my back so we're resisting the range of motion, or I can focus on the other one. <laughs> it's so weird with two screens at the same time. I can focus on doing the pancake, putting my hands down, and then lifting my feet, so I'm working the hip flexor to actively get deeper into the pancake. So those are two ways, by pushing against the force or by actively going with the force. That's another way you can get that idea of the, of the muscles continuing to work after that Passive range has been developed.
1: I'm just going to make a quick note here that our session, we're doing a session tomorrow together, so I have to sit on Jacko while he's doing a pancake stretch. Is that what you're saying? Because that is going to make some <laughs> yeah, gold. Might help. <laughs> you see that? There's, the, there's
0: pancakes pancakes tomorrow literally <laughs> like sat
2: upright. Where's it, it just be
0: sat in a chair? I
2: mean, if you look at any like, you know, Mongolian contortion, it is going to be a good example, maybe an extreme example. Yeah, um, a bit like that. It's a lot of like, from what I understand, the first year of Mongolian contortion, they call it like the year of pain or the year of tears, because the first year is just about (laughs) getting through those mental blocks of, of not being able to relax in the positions because they feel unsafe. Yeah. Oh, crazy. So we're going to bring this into
1: to a close here. I've just got one more question about handstands for you, and then I'm going to let Jacko um, wrap it up. So um, you might have seen on our logo, we have actually have a guy having, doing a single arm handstand on it, and I quite like that for me because it's probably one of the most difficult things that I can imagine doing. So it sits there as quite an aspirational goal for me. Jacko has been doing quite a bit of work on his on his single arm handstand, and, and I'm going to ask you for some tips for him. But before I get there, I just want to kind of con- give you some context about where he's at with his training. So you've got a video you video... You
0: not you haven't seen my uh, you haven't seen my training, so I'm interested in what your your perception of what my
1: training is. So okay. I watched your video that you recorded actually 2013, I think it was, of, of some tips and some different exercises that you can do for the single arm handstand. Now, what I had to do was it's a seven and a half minute video. And I fast forwarded to the six minutes until I found the exercises that Jacko was doing. <laughs> now, I imagine that they're supposedly progressive and that they're supposed to feed in from the first six minutes before you get towards what. You know, you're doing. I'm a very advanced handstander, Tim, so I thought I'd just go straight in at the deep end. The same thing happened when we both learned <laughs> to handstand. I kind of took more of a <laughs> methodical approach, whereas Jacko just tried to go directly to the end goal. But what, if someone's wanting to learn a one-arm handstand and, and we stick at that, there's probably a lot of people listening that, that have got way bigger fish to fry before they get to that point, but it is on Jacko's list of things that he's trying to work on. What's the process? What are the keys? Have you got any sort of like inside tips that you really need to um, think about and form a crux of nailing that ridiculously impressive move.
0: Yeah, can I, and just before you, just before you delve into giving, giving your wisdom on that, which I greatly appreciate, <laughs> um, and there's someone, one of our followers on Instagram, she's trying to do the same thing as well, but um, I sound, we sound relatively similar, not in our skill, but as in, because <laughs> you can do it amazingly, but in the, when you were talking about how you learned, you sounded like you were a little bit um, bull in a china <laughs> shop like I am, and then, and then realised, actually I need to go back and, and uh, and start again and since i've really gone let's say in the last six weeks really gone back to more basics on it rather than just flipping trying to take your hand off the floor and see what happens <laughs> basically is what i was doing um i've seen a much better improvement it's it's humbling yourself to go right i need to do some real real that, well that's what i found the real real basics but yeah what almost i guess
2: what are those basics so oh, there's so many so first off would be because it's it's At least one um, exponent, not exponent, one order of magnitude more difficult to do a one-arm handstand than two-arm handstand. So two-arm handstand needs to be to the point where you don't think about it. You can move your legs around. You can move your shoulders. Alignment is also very important. So if you are currently aligned in your handstand where it takes a lot of muscular strength, it's going to make it difficult. Um, there's ways to still use strength to do the one arm, but as I said, it's an order of magnitude more difficult. So really finding a resting position and being comfortable in the two arm handstand to the point where you can do whatever you want in it and it doesn't affect your balance. Um, that's going to be number one. Number two, flexibility plays a bigger role. So you know the, the better your middle splits are basically and the better your shoulders are, the easier it's going to be to find a resting position in one arm. You don't need it. There are ways to counteract that, but it's incredibly helpful to have that flexibility because you can spread yourself further out. That's a big problem for me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, more balance. Other... Sit on
1: you more. <laughs> yeah. When you're stretching.
2: So to actually develop the balance, because it, you know you can walk on your hands and you can spend time on one arm, but to me that's a one-arm transition or a one-arm freeze, yeah. which is very different than a one-arm balance. One-arm balance is when you're actively using your hand to adjust in a full 360-degree range of motion. And to develop that one-arm balance, it's too many variables to lift the hand up and see what happens. That's good for a photo. That's good for a freeze if you're a break dancer. But to actually develop that balance, you have to very slowly feel what it is to shift the body, to shift the legs, and you get to this point. So. It, um, the, the other drills that I listed in that video are good just to develop awareness. But the real drill of actually doing the one-arm handstand is to go arm and fingertips. You want to go arm and fingertips to the point where you can hold that just as well as you can hold two arms. Yeah. And not only that, but where there's minimal weight on the free hand. So if you go arm and fingertips, but you still have 20 kilos of weight on your fingertips, yeah. that's still very much a two-arm handstand. Yeah. So you want to get to this point where you get so comfortable that if you go just a little bit farther, that arm comes off by itself. And this is where that actual one arm balance comes in. So even if I'm on one arm and one finger and that finger has 10 grams of weight, if there is any contact with that finger to the floor, that's still a two arm balance, but you still need to be able to do that. So this idea of lifting the finger, and this is the actual one arm balancing component, because when you balance on one arm, you have to have your whole body over a very small uh, point of balance, but at the same time you have to deal with rotation, and you have to deal with control of the body. It's that's it's very complex,
0: that's but basically
2: learning to move the legs from side to side, learning to tilt, getting to the point where you can very easily shift to arm and fingertips, getting to the point where you can hold arm and fingertips, and then you, this is the balance. And that's the difference. I meant to make this video, but I haven't. It's, it's a really big difference, lifting the arm and falling for a couple of seconds even if it's both are two-second holds, if I lift the arm, get lucky, I hold for two seconds, I fall, or I gradually lift the arm, I place it, I balance for two seconds, and I come back. Yeah. Those two are very different, yeah. even though they might look similar to an untrained eye. Yeah. There's a very big difference between those two. Yeah. And it, it's that specific sensation of what it is to balance on one arm. There's nothing like it. It's I'm going to try to So two cameras. Um... No, it's too early. Well, maybe. All,
0: gone.
2: All right, so the idea is this. I basically have to move my hand in a like in a circular pattern. So if I fall to the side, I have to have the control to move my hand forwards diagonally. So it ends up looking something like this, where I'm making maybe 10 corrections a second, but in a full yeah. 360. And that's not something. So in a basic two-arm handstand, you can consciously say, okay, I'm falling forward, I'm going to push with my fingers. Yeah you don't have that same option it's so you have to really separate those various that's the big
0: thing i've one of the biggest things i've noticed or there's two things is in the in it's obvious when you think about it but at the start you don't like when you're doing your two-handed handstand you only have to worry about uh, falling forwards and falling back you don't have to worry about falling yeah. sideways you don't have to worry about spinning yeah. and rotating whereas when you go onto that one hand obviously there's that rotational component and that is something that's very very different and then the other thing when you shift that weight onto one side i literally feel like the strength to stay in there and not just slump out like my i just feel like my body i just crumples my shoulder and i need to build up some isometric strength just on there with some of those easier progressions and since i've been doing that it has started it it doesn't feel like it's still important like i can't do it but i've broken in my mind i've broken the back of it doesn't feel impossible. Yeah. I can imagine myself doing it now. And I think that's, that's for, for, for us when we talk about our strap lines like redefine your impossible. When you get past that point of, you can see yourself doing it, like that's it won. Like at that point, you know you're gonna get it at some point. Um, and that for me is when the win is made. Like it's great when you actually then do it and that's like the big celebration, but when you can actually, mm. when you can see yourself doing it. And, and on that, in, in terms of impossibles, what, you know, you can do some incredible stuff. Is there anything we like to ask our guests? Like, is there anything that feels impossible to you right now that you're trying to work on, or or something that you would would aspire to do
2: one day? That. Oh, that's a good question. I haven't really thought because I, I haven't thought about. Um, I, I used to train. Okay, I want to learn this skill and this. I want to learn these tricks. I don't think like that as much anymore. Um, I think of uh, I guess a, a more broad picture not that it's right or wrong because you do have to learn tricks but it's about applying them. Short answer is no like there's a lot of skills that I used to be able to do that I want to get back like in terms of acrobatics and tricking when I jumped a lot more but I'm taking my time with those now. What's your favorite one of those then that you used to be able to do
0: that you, you can't you were working on again?
2: So um, the, the cork so it's like um, one leg with a full twist. Flip like this. Um, I used to, like, I was really scared of it for a while, uh, and it took me a really long time to be able to get it. And then when I got it, it's one of those things, I didn't train it often enough. Mm. And because I didn't train it often enough, when I took a couple years, I lost it. Um, So now I have to start this live video again because my connection was off. Now um, I'm slowly getting back into it, and it's that same it's that same fear. I still have to relearn it. It's still there in my muscle memory, but I still I, I still get freaked out. I still have to psych myself out every time I do it. Uh, and it's because so. <laughs> when I learned it, I didn't do it often enough. I should have done it every session for a few months. Yeah. I should have done at least a few every session for maybe six months, and I would have cemented it. Yeah. But I didn't do that, and I lost it. Yeah, so yeah. twisting in general, like I, I learned with really bad techniques. I'm trying to, to go slow and get back into... It's a good technique.
1: What I think is amazing about that, and listening to you talk about yours, it's the same thing, whether you're learning a handstand for the first time, or you're learning a complex skill like what you're doing. The same messages, (laughs) take your time, go through the progressions, touch base with it regularly. It's just, it's amazing. I think people should be really inspired by that. Actually go, we watch you and go, cracking it, guys, amazing what you can do. We're so far away from that. But actually we're all kind of experiencing the same thing and we're going through the same process whether we're day one or like 10 years 20 years down down the line um, and I think that that goes back to our idea of redefining impossible because once you've done one thing you've done one thing which is impossible you've actually learned that process you've learned that the stage that you need to go through on that journey and now you've just got to reapply that same mindset to anything else that you want to do and you never know where you might end up
2: well yeah you learn th- and that's to me like okay the skills are cool the flips are cool and all that but it's um, it's more about it maybe philosophical too much this morning, but good. Um, it's it. more about learning learning how to learn the skills. So I'm using the acrobatics as a tool, as a vehicle to help people understand their own bodies and their own their own learning process towards physical skills. And okay, backflip is cool, and you can learn backflip, but if you learn about what it took you to be able to learn the backflip, then that's something you can apply towards your own learning process in learning anything else. Love yeah. it. Awesome. We're going to
1: finish on yeah. that.
0: Thank you, Yuri, so much for uh, for,
2: for coming on and, and, and sharing
0: um, what you've done and and um, some of those. I think there's there's so much in there for people. And, and a lot of what I really like about, a lot of it, as Tim just mentioned there, is about uh, the process and principles that then they can... Um, people, can, whatever it is that they're trying to learn they can right. apply those principles because, and that's what's key we we're really, um, with the whole our whole name being based around a school we really want to make sure the advice that we give people is um, educational and then they can go and take that and run with it rather than right. think that just go do this thing and that's going to work because you know that that's not going to work for everybody um, yeah. and so we with, with on the podcast about right, the guests to do the class dismissed
1: part so it's a privilege you, don't take it lightly so Tim is gonna <laughs> Tim is gonna say so Yuri Marcusine, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us until next time class dismissed thanks for listening to this week's podcast if you've enjoyed it guys we'd really appreciate a five star review on iTunes and if you want to put a one star one on that's also fine but we'll just delete it <laughs> until next time class dismissed